Hello and welcome everyone to the SmackDown 6 podcast, the only podcast on the internet covering the SmackDown 6 era of Raw. Just kidding, SmackDown. I am your host, Matt Vaughn, and each week on the podcast, I am so happy to be joined by a wonderful individual to walk with me, to be a guest co-host with me as we go through this time of SmackDown. And once again, come back. First time back to the podcast, Joel Willick is here. How are you doing, Joel? I am doing fantastic. We're covering a December SmackDown episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Potentially when this drops, I assume it'll be summertime. So hopefully you're enjoying mm-hmm. the nice weather. But right. when people watch this live in, in 2003, I'm sure they were in a bit of a cold weather snap. That's right. I remember on a recent episode, I believe um, our mutual friend Daniel talked about how this is kind of a a lean time in WWE typically, right? This this period between Survivor Series and Royal Rumble. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, I was hard pressed to argue with them. I can't think of a lot of instances outside of like peak Attitude Era when you know d- December into January was like an actual exciting time for wrestling. I I, I was happy when you told me the episode we were covering because I felt like it was far enough away from Christmas we weren't going to get those terrible Christmas matches that WWE loves to put on. So I was I was I was happy not to do a Christmas Day or Christmas Eve episode of SmackDown. Yeah, well, this I mean, we're gonna we find out on this episode what they're doing for Christmas, <laughs> which is totally different for them this year. Uh, the episode we're talking about is the December eleventh, two thousand three episode of SmackDown, and it taped two days before, as always, December ninth, two thousand three. Uh, we were emanating from the San Diego Sports Arena in San Diego, California. Does that mean Rey Mysterio factors in? He might. We'll see. He <laughs> might factor in. Uh, it got a three point six TV rating to defeat Raw. It did not, uh, but three point six is a relatively healthy rating for it there. Um, now, Joel, before we get into things proper, my question for you is, um, did they even talk at all on this broadcast about how there is a pay-per-view for Raw on Sunday? Because Armageddon 2003 is the Sunday after this. And does it even get – not even in passing is it mentioned, right? No, I have zero recollection of that. That's what they and, did. They, like, that, they were so oh, serious no. about these – they were so serious about these pay-per-views being brand exclusive, they didn't even talk about them. That's unreal. Like. That surprises me because how hard is it to do this Sunday? <laughs> they used to. They would do rundowns like on, they had where I think yeah. it was I, there was a show where most of them were raw matches, if not all raw matches. They did a rundown. I was like, this seems welcome. I presume, I presume they probably had like an ad run during it, which is like this Sunday, it's Armageddon. Uh, right. But but weird weird in the broadcast at no point for my cold to be like, hey, do you want to spend forty dollars? <laughs> yeah. Didn't do That's it. That's a bizarre I'm, time when they they were pressing the brand split so much, trying to capture some sort of competitiveness that they they're end up hurting themselves, right? It's crazy. Uh, pretty much. Has it has it ever been as as uh, clean cut as this with like the differentiation between the brands? I don't know if it ever like I don't know if it got more split split or what, but it, right at this point they're like they're kind of militant about it. Well, and and well, and that was my thought because I I knew that the brand split was so divisive, like yeah. so split down the middle at this point. And I was thinking because looking into the future, we're heading towards WrestleMania 20, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so I'm like, then how does Chris Benoit end up for the Raw title, right? I, and I right. don't know the story because I don't know the like I know that as a big moment in wrestling, and I I didn't watch at the time, but looked back and then experienced that moment and understand that was such a special moment for a lot of wrestling fans. And it just, it was interesting because I had that thought that I'm like, Oh, Chris Benoit was a SmackDown guy. So I don't know the steps that we're taking. So I guess that is, that is to be saved for upcoming episode, but, but I, you know I what? That was the, interesting. 
the seeds are planted in this episode for that very occurrence. Like the first thing we he see in the episode of SmackDown is somebody saying Chris Benoit will not get a title shot again. Right. Yeah. So it's and you and it's and it, it stuck out to me this time where I was like, really, it's December. They're already planting the seeds. I guess that kind of makes sense, but. It was curious. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to read the match cards. I'm going to read the matches that are on Armageddon 2003. Joel, I'd love to get your thought on if any of them sound good to you. Uh, we got Mark Henry with Theodore Long versus Booker T. We've got an Intercontinental title match. Rob Van versus Randy Orton. Special referee is Mick Foley. Interesting. There's a Battle of the Sexes tag team match. Chris Jericho and Christian versus Lita and Trish Stratus. Okay, so that's men, men versus women. That's interesting. Um, there's a match here, Shawn Michaels versus Batista, and its style is a grudge match. I find that I don't know what a grudge match is. I know what grudge I know what grudge matches are in like society, but not in wrestling. That's not a thing. Uh, unless the girl from the grudge like comes out to the TV or something. Well, that's the ring. Anyway, uh, there's also a world tag team title tournament uh, gauntlet match. Uh, the Dudleys versus Garrison, Cade and Mark Jindrak versus Lance Storm and Val Venus versus Rosie and the Hurricane versus Scott Steiner and Test versus Batista and Ric Flair versus La Resistance. Is a world women's title match between Molly Holly and Ivory and the world heavyweight title triple threat match between Goldberg, Kane, and Triple H. Anything there? No, especially no. that that main <laughs> event is is terrifying to me. Why K- Kane? Why are we? What are we doing here? I don't know. I don't know. Like I don't know if there's ever a time after 1988 where it was like Kane in the title picture. Exciting. Good news. Yeah, I can't think of a moment since then where it was like an exciting time to have Kane in the title picture. And don't get me wrong. I, I love Kane. Kane is great. And to have, have done it for that long, I have mad, mad respect for that man. But yeah, I never felt at a time when Kane was on the top of the card that I was excited that he was on top of the card other than, you know, 1998. Yeah. Maybe Michael Cole felt the same way. Maybe that's why it doesn't come up. Who knows? Right. Uh, that could be why. So and let's, then, uh, yeah. yeah. And then Goldberg at this point, yeah, that terrifies me. At least it's I mean, triple threat, so you can potentially protect him a bit. But right, yeah, yeah there's nothing about that. It's all wasted potential for Goldberg at this point. And I mean, because yeah. they just fans liked him and they wanted to do more. But just even after seeing like SummerSlam 2003, you know, they have the chance to pull the trigger on him, uh, a guy who you kind of know is guaranteed. He was guaranteed somewhere else, like, and it worked. Like, it's not going to not work. Mm-hmm. But they were they just took every step to be like, ah, mm, I don't know. Mm, I don't know. It's like, guys, please, please. I get that he was <laughs> he used to get checks that were signed by Ted Turner. But can you can you look past it and see what's in front of you, please? It, it's really funny because when you you hear some of the, the people who were in the upper echelons of WWE management at the time, like the Bruce Pritchards who talk about this and he always stands by we were trying to get them over. And I just, it's, <laughs> you, I can't buy into that. Right. right? You're I like, no, you weren't. I can't believe you, Bruce. <laughs> like, if you're trying to get someone over, and because it, it was so commonplace with the ex-WCW guys of just, what can we do to make them look less than? It would just seem, if it's like, if this is your way to get them over, you need to not be running wrestling shows then. A lot of them, you don't need to get them over. They are over. They're currently over. If they just showed up as they were and showed up, people were like, yes, they're cheering. You don't need to start from square one with these guys. Well, and it's funny because it's always he always made the argument, talking about Bruce Pritchard here, that, well, they these guys weren't known to our audience. Right. So we, we couldn't write the, you know, I, I, I give a skeptical like, look at Joel, which I know yeah, which I it's not at Joel. That is the exact skeptical look I would give. Yeah. Right. So I think back to when I was watching one guy who they did it right was Chris Jericho. Sure. 
I didn't watch WCW. When he debuted on that countdown in the verbal battle with The Rock, I had no idea who Chris Jericho was. I'd never heard of him, didn't know he was coming. But when he was presented in that way, like a star, like the fact that he was there on Raw mattered, I was sold. I was bought in. And he's, right. Right. And I remember the next day at school talking like, God, Chris Jericho's awesome. Right. Because they presented him like a star. Right. Like, Going to to recency history, Cody Rhodes, WrestleMania return. Exactly what I thought of. Yeah, 100%. Presented like a star. It didn't yeah. matter that people who had no idea where he's been for the last six years, when he came out, it was like, this guy is a big deal. Right. No matter where he was, they're it, like, oh, he did something. Because he, he's, he's got a whole working. presence. Yeah. Yeah, but exactly. he's far. How hard was that? And they didn't have to do a damn thing. Cody Rhodes did all the work. They right. just had to present him as Cody Rhodes, the American Nightmare. They just dragged over the MP3 for his his, his entrance music. They style <laughs> a little bit of the videos and stuff. It's like, and they went from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's pretty wild. It is crazy that uh, Cody went went from somebody who you're like ah, kind of a mid carder to being un- unabashed main eventer, like 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 no like without reservations. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you know, from there and then building on those and leading up to uh, at this point now where he's injured and. Uh, presumably yeah. going to have going to have another debut or like a redebut that's almost the exact same and then probably gets shot up to the stratosphere. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah that's Armageddon 2003. Uh, just give me some, let's get some context about last week's episode of SmackDown so we know what we're talking about this week, which does not mention that interview at all. Uh, so in last week's episode, Chris Benoit and John Cena went head to head to determine who would face Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship in the main events because they were the last two remaining in a battle royal the night the week before. Uh, that battle royal ended in controversy because they fell at the exact same time out of the ring. Uh, there was more controversy though, but Chris Benoit made John Cena tap out in that match, and then he and then Chris Benoit went toe to toe with Brock Lesnar in a great match. If you had, have not seen that, go back and check it out because it's like it's t- I mean it's the only time you're ever going to see Brock Lesnar versus Chris Benoit, and it's a top tier match. Put it on live TV. It was great. Uh, free TV was taped. Sorry, uh, but Brock Lesnar did manage to escape with his title. In that match, also uh, Rikishi sat directly on top of Danny Basham's head. I genuinely was concerned for his safety, but he seemed to be fine. He just sat directly on him. And Jamie Noble used his blind girlfriend to win a match. Also, Nathan Jones made his final WWE appearance, which is uh, which is briefly mentioned in this episode. Briefly, yes. Briefly. Uh, so let's talk about what happened on Velocity. This is what the good folks in San Diego, California, would have seen before SmackDown. There's a dark match to start off. Uh, Jamie Noble defeated former WCW Cruiserweight Champion Psychosis. I was oh. tickled by this. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Psychosis is there. I mean, for whatever reason, I always give extra respect to anybody who was in WCW NW Revenge for the N64. And Psychosis was one such guy. Uh, but uh, a, t- a top-tier guy. Big deal, Luchador. Uh, also, in the dark match here, Travis Tomko defeat and uh, Travis Tomko, he, he teamed with somebody. To defeat the Ballard brothers. I don't know. The Ballard brothers sound like a uh, Wild West uh, shooting team or something like that. <laughs> like you would go down to the crowd and see the, the Ballard brothers do their fantastic feats of marksmanship. That's what I think. Now, on Velocity proper, which you can see on YouTube, just if, if you ever want to see Velocity on YouTube, just type in Velocity and the month that it happened in, and you can see pretty much the whole thing. Some guy is on there just he's doing his due diligence. I respect it. It's Psychosis uh, and Jamie Noble seems like something that would be actually worth watching, was it? Did you watch right. it? It was dark match. We didn't see it. It's not, it's oh, not recorded. Oh, it's not right? recorded. I know. Ah. Sorry, it is recorded. Just it's in some vault somewhere. That's yeah. Like, so it, it, it didn't air on Velocity. It just yeah. To Isn't that crazy people, though? Yeah. They they have all that stuff. They could put it out. They could be like, you know, you want Jamie over psychosis? It's like, oh, it'd be interesting. 
It could yeah. be a disaster of a match for all we know. Who knows? Yeah, who knows, right? Yeah. Could have not worked out. Jamie Noble was also in WCW, so maybe they knew each other. I don't know if they ran into each other back then or what. Um, yeah, on Velocity, Nunzio and Chuck Palumbo of the FBI took out the team of Spanky and Paul London when London got hit with a superkick powerbomb combo. Um, Ultimo Dragon dropped Tony Salantri with his flipping reverse DDT. Uh, Salantri would go on to WWE development for a couple years until 2007. That's all he did, really. Um, Orlando Jordan hit a power slam out of the corner onto Canyon and got the one, two, three. This is uh, only remarkable because this is Canyon's final match in WWE. He would get released in February 2004 after being injured. Uh, Canyon around velocity, around SmackDown a little bit. Uh, I don't know. They didn't see it in him, I guess. Like, I just, you know, here's a guy who could talk, and he was obviously involved in WCW. And um, I think that kind of in the years since, there's been questions about whether or not WWE was like, uh, was possibly being um, homophobic about it. Cause I think he was, I think he was out at the time or came out later. But um, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Um, there are obviously people like Pat Patterson who are gay and in WWE, but that's also somebody who's in like very enshrined power. So I don't know if it's somebody who can just show up and be like, hey, I'm gay, and they would like go over well, especially when Billy and Chuck was on this show back in the day. Right. So I don't know what happened with Canyon there. But uh, I don't know. Joel, any thoughts on Canyon? I don't know if you would have – have you seen Canyon in your, in your journeys? You know, not much, right, because I, like I said, I wasn't a WCW guy. He yeah. didn't feature really at all in WWE product and at a time when I was really watching. So I haven't crossed much on Canyon at all, right? Yeah. Just too bad. Yeah, he was in the invasion and then he got injured. And then so it was like and, and he was one of like, you know, 20 anonymous WCW guys in the invasion anyway. So it's like, who knows? Yeah. Uh, main event of Velocity, Tajiri put his cruiserweight title up for grabs against Billy Kidman. But Tajiri retained his gold after he hit a buzzsaw kick to take Billy Kidman out. So that was Velocity. Let's talk about this week's episode of SmackDown. And uh, we begin with an unnecessarily tight close up of Paul Heyman. Who has a microphone and without any context whatsoever says Chris Benoit will never get another shot at the WWE Championship while he is general manager of SmackDown. I was like, okay, <laughs> like <laughs> strange start to the show, I would say. Yes, yeah, yeah it was odd. Uh, and then and then we have our intro, and then we have Pyro, and, and and then we were you know they were like, hey, we're in San Diego, and then the ring announcer announces Paul Heyman. It's like, well, we already saw him talk. I mean, at this point, we don't need to be introduced. Like, oh, Paul Heyman is here. We go, okay. And then Paul Heyman starts to justify what he just said about Chris Benoit not getting a title shot kind of in an interesting way, especially when we're supposed to understand that wrestling is real or is, is, is yeah, is real essentially. So Paul Heyman says, look, you know, Vince senior built his company on Bruno San Martino. Vince McMahon had Hulk Hogan and Steve Austin and Paul Heyman has Brock Lesnar. And it's like, that's interesting because, you know, they built the company on those guys because they could like make them stars and make them win. But I don't know if that does that does that work for you in this context, like bringing that up like this, or is that kind of how's that make you feel, Joel? Like because to me, I was kind of like I, it, it, I'm not gonna say it graded on me, but I was like, hmm, I it feels a bit odd to me. I I wonder what like the understanding of Hulk Hogan is at that time amongst most of the wrestling audience. Is right. is he starting to turn into that villain that we've come to know, right? As looking back. And they're almost like, like seeing as a politician kind of thing. Yeah, and and right. and he's and the way Chris like the way Paul Heyman's framing is like, Chris Benoit's your macho man, right? Your macho right. man, Randy Savage, who should have had his time at the top but didn't because of guys like Hulk Hogan, 
right? And so he's kind of laying that seed of like, that's the guy you always wanted, but you never got. And he's kind of putting Chris Benoit in kind of that same category. That's that's kind of the the sense I got. They kind it it almost placed him in that those guys we wanted on top as fans, but never got. Right. I guess that's a good that is a good way to think about it. Where he's like, here are the here are the kind of the the big guys. And even when you say Steve Austin, well, you're like, well, there's also Rock and Triple H, and yeah. maybe by elevating and saying, well, there's Brock Lesnar. If somebody else tries to come for his crown, then they're kind of kind of fit in with those other guys historically. So it's not a bad, bad way to do it. Um, Heyman says, yeah, Benoit almost screwed this whole thing up, uh, so he doesn't get another shot at him. And it's interesting too because you know Paul Heyman is not Brock Lesnar's manager at this point, but um, you know he's going to put his thumb on the scale if he needs to. Um, which is interesting. I was, I also thought watching this, I'm like, you know what? I kind of wish this could continue on for like a year because it'd be kind of cool if we could see some other guys show up, like have a big debut and then it makes Paul Heyman think twice. And then we have the kind of like, uh, oh, maybe Rocky needs to prove himself kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if you can do that. If you bring in somebody new, if you br- like send Batista over from, from raw and then Paul Heyman's like, oh, make you do that. Mm-hmm. Make Paul, Brock Lesnar a little bit jealous. I don't know. It's something I thought something you could do. Um, Paul Heyman deems Brock Lesnar the greatest WWE champion of all time, which Brock has mentioned in recent weeks. I didn't remember them doing this at this point, but it's something that they're bringing up and saying, and it's interesting. Uh, this is kind of, I, I would say, the, the the greatest of all time, the kind of GOAT talk has kind of increased in recent years, I feel like, uh, now. I don't know why, I just, I don't know, I guess that specific phrase, I don't know if it's coming over from other sports, like, uh, you know, basketball, talking about LeBron or Michael Jordan, stuff like that, but... He's the greatest of all time. Although the, the joke here being that Brock Lesnar has been around for like two years. And they're like, oh, he's the greatest ever. <laughs> we know that's not totally true. And so Brock comes out. He wears some, he's wearing some track pants, his belt. And he's got no shirt on. It looks good. Uh, a look I could not pull off personally. <laughs> and uh, Brock takes the mic. The crowd chants. Once again, you tapped out because he did that uh, just last week on Thursday uh, when he faced with Benoit. When the referee was down, he did tap out. Now Brock says he did make Benoit tap out. But Michael Cole says, Chris Benoit didn't tap out. He passed out. That's what the title meant to Chris Benoit. So that's the way people talk. It's a natural yes. way of objecting to something. <laughs> <laughs> that's the title meant to him. It's all right. I talk in, uh, in talking points and thoughts like that. So Brock shows the clip of when Brock made Benoit's lifeless hand tap out after he was knocked out. So like, oh, look, he did tap out. I made, I made him do it. Mm-hmm. Um. And then Brock talks about how powerful he is. Uh, he says something he couldn't say today, where he says the whole crowd could get deported. Um, and he, he, Brock kind of goes down this 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 line of uh, thinking. He says where there is Mexico, and then Paul Heyman <laughs> whispers in his ear, "They're in San Diego, not Mexico." And Brock's like, "Ah, it looks like Mexico anyway." Like, oh boy, I'm gonna get away with that. Uh, that brings out Rey Mysterio, the hometown boy. And Rey grabs the mic and he stands before Brock Lesnar, and he's much much shorter than Brock. And Ray says he won't stand for someone disrespecting his hometown or his people. And Ray challenges Brock to a match tonight since they're in his hometown. Brock says, hey, I can't make a match. I'm a champion, but I'm not general manager. And Ray suggests that Brock does not possess sufficient manhood to face him. And Brock says, okay, if Ray can beat him tonight in a non-title match, which makes, which makes the crowd poo, he'll put his title up next week. And Ray says that by the end of the night, the crowd will be chanting 619-619, which I don't think they actually do. No, I've never heard a crowd like chant that. <laughs> it's always like so awkward to me when the the wrestlers get the crowd to do their chant. It's always it just seems I'm always like, okay, buddy. He's telegraphing it so hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's like and later on they will say, da 
all right all right all right it is a little bit of self-cheerleading it's true so uh ray leaves and we have ourselves a main event uh oh but wait wait, there's also a main event to start the show because we have rhino versus bradshaw as our first match i wanted your opinion on something when do you think because this is like uh, my my notes on this is like i love that opening segment but it's just unfortunate you need racism and xenophobia to get there right and it's at what point do you think WWE finally stopped that? Because it had been such a go-to. It continued to be a go-to for a long time, right? And it just, because, yeah. Well, it's interesting because, like, they really wanted, um, they've long wanted, like, really strong Latin stars. That's why they tried so hard with Alberto Alberto Del Rio, Mm -hmm. um, especially after Eddie died, where they're just like, you know, I think they saw... There were dollar signs in having a guy that you could go to these border towns, uh, or not just border towns, but these places with large Latino populations, and like the gate would get bigger. If you had a big guy on top, you could do that. Um, I don't know what they saw in Alberto Del Rio. I wasn't watching at the time either, but like going back and watching, just kind of like there's no start. Like I don't see, I don't see someone you could like cheer and be excited about seeing here. Yeah. Um. So I wonder if it was maybe more in that direction, right? I mean, um. It's also interesting to see how culture shifts, right? Because like you, if you came out to, to like a mostly black town, and you said stuff that like inferred like if you just like played like dog whistle racism and things like that, yeah, I don't you couldn't do that, but here you could, and I don't know yeah. if it's just if if there's just um you know if stuff around the border or just uh, things like that changed, it's not totally clear. I think that I think it probably if I had to guess. It would be as they got more and more professionals as a company and they saw the breakdown of their fans. Because, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, in, in the United States, that they were, like, I, I don't know how great stats on this, but it's, like, like at least a quarter Latino in terms of fans. You'd be, like, oh, it doesn't surprise me at all. So it's, like, do we want to alienate <laughs> this number of fan base? Because even if you're, like, well, you know, the wrestlers, you know, this, this heel can say that about Latin people all the time uh, or Hispanic people. I guess probably the better way of phrasing that. Um, it's, like, yeah, I feel like people still – have ill will towards that so that's my guess that's what i think is that i think at some point somebody said it doesn't make dollars and cents to go down this road yeah because the old school would be well you're making this crowd mad so then they cheer harder for the hero that shows up right but that only works when the hero wins in the end (laughs) yeah hmm. spoiler spoiler alert for the main event they're also really selling this on hey Ray wins tonight, gets a title shot next week. So we're almost in like, we're beginning a, a, a two week program here in theory, right? Yeah. That's what we're getting for it. So, um, so yeah, let's see, let's see the shakes out for the rest of the show. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see where we go with it. Um, yeah. Rhino versus Benoit is our next match here. Um, we saw, sorry, I said Benoit. Yeah, it's Bradshaw. Yeah. Those are, those are close though. <laughs> like, <laughs> They're close like, names. Just, just, if you listen to the Benoit, <laughs> Bradshaw. It's yeah. Rhino against Bradshaw. There we go. Clean take. Uh, <laughs> apparently they show, we don't see it, but they show Rhino goring Bradshaw after a match on Velocity this past week. Uh, and uh, I will point out, Bradshaw won that match after hitting Rhino with a big boot. That's it. No close line from hell. He said a big, a big boot, boot and pinned him. Hmm. And I was like, what? What kind of Survivor Series crap is this? Where you're pinning a guy <laughs> with a big boot. Oh, man. Um, Michael Cole he encourages us to watch Fox News this weekend. He says Bradshaw will be on the Bulls and Bears show. I don't know what that is. That sounds interesting. Uh, I assume that when you're there, you can also get riled up about how well the war in Iraq is going, presumably. 
What's it? Like, I uh, watch Brouch on here, then leave it on and see if your grandparents just naturally walk towards the television. <laughs> it's, a, it's a way to get your your elderly grandparents into wrestling. Exactly. Here's this guy. Although I think, from what I could tell at the time, like you know, they're telling people, "Hey, go go see these shows." I think these are shows. They're like finance shows. So Bradshaw's coming in to be the kind of be comic relief, not to be like a complete jester, but kind of like, here's a guy who's gonna come in and tell you that you're stupid for not investing in this company. We're, we're all kind of kind of laugh with it, which makes right. sense because you know who he is. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, I think a bulls and bears. I should try to post another up on YouTube and see if actually you know what that'll totally blow up my algorithm in a way that's probably not. <laughs> oh, this guy wants to watch Fox News from 2003. Wow. Okay, we got a we got a whole. Fire hose of content we could send him. He's Be a little Riley catalog for hours you know, worth of content. You know what I'll do? I'll do that. But I, I, between every search, I'm just going to search for like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez speeches, <laughs> and then I'm just going to see how where I end what, up. What does the algorithm do with this information? Right. Right? What's, yeah. what's wrong with this guy? They're going to send somebody to house. Like, are you okay? <laughs> you, there's I, no I, way you're an independent voter. What is this? <laughs> the, the, that probably shows up as Canadian. As you are a Canadian. For sure. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I found that interesting, like speaking of the Fox News and them talking about how much Bradshaw knows money. It, it's really interesting to see those seeds of the JBL character. Right. And I think it just it just helps, especially because, you know, a lot of people talk about great wrestling gimmicks or personas are those ones where it's their personality turned up to 11. Right. And the JBL character is absolutely that for, for Bradshaw. So it is interesting, and to see those like seeds, like I don't think they were planning on doing the JBL character this That's time. That's what I'm wondering, just, right? Just to kind of see that, oh, they saw this in him, and like, oh, we could do something with that, and it turned out to be a successful character. Right. Well, it's like if he's doing well there, yeah, yeah, be, being not, maybe not a character, but being himself elevated, and then yeah. it's like, well, and if you're like, hey, go back and watch WWE, he'll be, he's a beer smoking guy and beer smoking. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like I'm a 14 year old. He smokes beers. Uh, he's this beer drinking, cigar smoking guy, uh, and you're like, oh, that doesn't really fit. Like his that he's like some kind of southern investor guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I get somebody at some point. I'd be interested in that as much as I I hated the JBL character, and it was a big part of me stopping to watch wrestling. Mm-hmm. I am curious about the origin of it. So maybe I'll have to find something on the network or on uh, or on Peacock. Maybe that would, would be on there. Uh, so Rhino tries to sneak up on Bradshaw to start the match, but Bradshaw ne- ne- nearly hits his now deadly big boot. Uh, and then Michael Cole says there's going to be a big announcement about SmackDown Superstar is going to perform for the troops this holiday season. What could it be? We will find out. Rhino sees a close line from hell coming, and he slings himself out of the ring to escape from it. Then Michael Cole uh, cuts in again. He tells us that on top of everything else tonight, Ernest the Cat Miller is here to dance with Sable. I was like, I don't know what that looks like. I'm really curious about that. Uh, yeah. I was like, okay, sure. Uh, Bradshaw gets a, a neck breaker as Taz repeats the fiction that Bradshaw was an Oakland Raider. I don't know if I talked to you about this, Joel, but I think this is fiction because I'm going to say this is what happened. In real life, Bradshaw was on the LA Raiders roster before the season but got cut. And so they have opted multiple times to say, oh, Bradshaw was an Oakland Raider. Does that count? I, I would say no. Yeah. If, if he doesn't, if he's not on the roster of the week one, right, the week one of the NFL season starting, to me, that yes. would be, no, he's not a member of that organization. Yes, he, he was invited to tryouts and he probably did well. 
the same reason to me. Brock Lesnar is not a Minnesota Viking, right? Right, or or a lot of those guys who who went to training camp. But for me, it's like unless he was on that 53-man roster at the end of cuts, I don't think he's a member of the Oakland Raiders or the LA Raiders organization, in right. my opinion. Yeah, I think a lot I think- of people would say that. But I think WWE just likes to, oh, here's an interesting thing we can kind of do our inflated narrative around. Yeah, we can kind of we can chuck this up and be like, oh, that's cool, and you're like, well, that's not really, it's not true, really, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because even like true enough that if someone calls them out on it, you can go back a little bit and be like, right. "Oh yeah, he was at the camp." Well, wow. in a locker at one point. Yeah, that probably <laughs> like, had his name on it. But. Yeah, I mean, I would all like, especially if someone was like, uh, if someone like this guy was a Chicago Bear, I would want them to be there for like a season. I'm not. I don't need to see 16 or 17 games fully played. But that to me would be like, you know, an established thing where like I'm a member of this roster. I'm on the 53 man roster as it is. If no one's if I don't get sick or I don't get injured, rather, I'm there every week. That to me is almost more uh, uh, consistent. So, I mean, you can say Bill Goldberg was an Atlanta Falcon. I don't know a lot about his tenure there, but he was there long enough to actually have a presence there at some point, at least. Yeah, he made the the roster at the start of the season, showed up in a few games. Right. That would that would fit the bill more than. Bradshaw. Yeah. So anyway, they're, they're still trying to get that over. Uh, Bradshaw does an interesting thing here. He goes for a follow away slam on the second rope. Um, but you can tell, or I could tell, uh, Rhino caused Bradshaw to fall backward a little quicker than he meant to. So he doesn't really get a chance to flip Rhino over his head. So Bradshaw, he kind of just drop flips Rhino onto his own head. Mm-hmm. It was a rough looked, spot, right? Like, it looked quite painful. Yeah, and so uh, Bradshaw puts an arm over Rhino to get a, co- a count of two. Um, yeah, anyway, I, I kind of encourage people, yeah, if you haven't seen it, like, go back and watch it, just because it's one of those things where you're like, oh, shoot, uh, there's a little bit of trial and error in some of this wrestling stuff. It's just like, hope I can flick this guy over, and like, oh, it didn't work. You're like, yeah, yeah do you guys, I guess, it, is, it un, is it not cool to go and do that before? Like, like, hey, let's go into the ring and let me try this thing out on you. I don't know. It, it seems like, for the most part, that doesn't happen. Right. It seems like they right. this is the time of wrestlers. Like, I think um, I think Jeff Hardy talked about when he was trying to do that, the spot at WrestleMania 17, when he walked like trying to ch- do the what he called the quote unquote frogger spot where he tried to walk from the top of one ladder to the top of another ladder to the top of another ladder. And he said, you know, I rehearsed it and it didn't I never got it to work. And I still tried it in the match. He still didn't work. Uh, Which but, is some wrestlers would say never do that. Yeah, well, exactly. It's like, well, if you try it twice and it didn't work, then just do something else, <laughs> don't, please. Because like, some people maybe, say it's like if you can do it nine times out of ten, don't do it. Don't even. Yeah, right. Just have do it if you do ten out of ten, right? Yeah, at least at least in that case, it would only be him possibly being hurt. Like, because like he's not putting, yeah, he's not risking anybody else at least. So Bradshaw goes for a superplex, and when they land, Bradshaw and Ryan will just kind of lay there for a second, and then both guys lift their legs up. And Rhino gets a small package on Bradshaw to get the one, two, three. And Bradshaw's all kind of like, huh, what? And I was also like, huh, what? This is kind of a weird ending. <laughs> like, what is this ending? Yeah, it, was, it came out of nowhere, and I wasn't expecting it. I was like, okay. What, what, how do you, like, it's one of those things where you see the ending of a match, and you're like, how do you even propose that to someone? And, of course, at the ending of the match, you're going to have a super bucks. You both lift your legs up. One of you gets the cover on the other guy. The other guy gets confused. The match ends. Okay. <laughs> I, maybe something got screwed up and it's supposed to be a little smoother than that. They yeah, land, Rhino kind of yeah. land, like kind of gets hitched into him, and I don't know. But uh, yeah, the Velocity Feud, Benoit, 
Benoit. Bradshaw and Rhino. I thought I did so well. I want you to know every time I said Bradshaw there, it was so intentional. If I said Benoit at any point, I apologize. Uh, Bradshaw. If I if that screws me up for the rest of the podcast, I will never forgive myself. <laughs> I mean the show, like the next few episodes. It might be completely screwed. It might be your fault too, Joel. I'm not going to say it's not your fault. I'm yeah, I'll, I'll take a percentage of the blame. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Paul Heyman is backstage and he's giving a train grief for betting on Chris Benoit last week in his match against Brock Lesnar. So this was a thing that um, they set up kind of like a betting situation. A train comes in. He's like, I'm going to put a thousand dollars on this match. And they go, okay. And he goes on Chris Benoit. And everyone's like, whoa, because they trained the heel and they fought a bunch, but kind of a way of being like, Hey, and and a train says, look, I was going with the odds. It was nothing personal. Uh, And uh, you know, that's a thing in gambling. People, you know, try to yeah. lean towards odds and that. Uh, yeah. Paul says he he dealt with Nathan Jones, which is a very kind of hand wavy way to get rid of him on TV. Uh, Nathan Jones left WWE abruptly during a recent tour of Australia, which is convenient since he's from Australia. I assume he's just like, well, I don't like being here anymore. I'm just gonna walk out, <laughs> get in the cab, and fly drive home. Much easier than being like, I'm leaving. I'm gonna take a 18 hour flight <laughs> out of San Diego, California. Although San Diego also a good place to leave WWE if you're going to Australia. Because if, if, if you're going to go anywhere in the continental yeah. U.S., that's maybe one of the better spots for it. One of the better spots is probably true. Uh, so Heyman says A-Train better get in line or he's next to go. And Matt Morgan is also there. Uh, Paul Heyman says A-Train's got a match against a guy who Brock Lesnar thinks could be on Team Lesnar as much as A-Train. Someone who's been stealing the show. And this is this continued Team Lesnar thing is odd. So this is – Brock Lesnar had a team at Survivor Series – and the guys who are on the team of Survivor Series are still kind of like semi-associated with Brock. Um, I, this isn't really a stable. I mean, they're making it into a stable kind of. Um, but like, I don't think I've ever seen the Survivor Series team as kind of like as long a tail as this one does. Right. Uh, it would maybe yeah. even make more sense for us to be Team Heyman. Why doesn't Paul Heyman just say, look, I need some guys I can lie. I need a Team Heyman on SmackDown. And I'm like, Brock Lesnar's on that team. Matt Morgan's on that team. A-Train, are you on that team? And that would make more sense to me than being kind of like this, this vague – Confederation of wrestlers. Right. Uh, Paul also, so he's like, yeah, so you're going to go up against a guy who could also fit into Team Lesnar, and also that match is next. And Paul Heyman often says the matches are next is a big threat, but like during the two hours that SmackDown is happening, aren't you ready to wrestle at pretty much any time? I would hope so. Right? Like, no more, you're like, right. oh, I'm not ready for this. You're like, it's between eight and 10 o'clock on a set Thursday night. Like, let's go. Like, yeah, let's do be this. loose, be ready. <laughs> Exactly. But he, oh, it's always a whole thing. Now, Matt Morgan speaks up, I think the first time on camera here, and he says to A-Train, you know, we got money on this, so don't blow it. Um, which isn't true now, but will be true. <laughs> will be true. He hasn't made the bet yet. Yes. Uh, and uh, A-Train gets very close and says, it's going to be a sure bet. It's very romantic. These two men are insanely close together. There's a lot of tension. <laughs> it's kind of Iceman Maverick. I mean, you know, it's a, that's in the culture a bit more now, but there's a little bit of that going on, right? <laughs> Yes. It did. And, and then Matt Morgan did the whole, like, thing. <laughs> he didn't, but I wish he did. <laughs> Steal the teeth thing. I don't even know. How, you, how do you say that? The teeth click? The, the fake bite? I don't Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so then we go to see Nunzio and the FBI are taking bets on matches, uh, which is what we saw for the first time last week. And they've got some uh, chalkboards up. There's wrestlers' names on it. There's, like, a real gaggle of guys back there. They're kind of jabbering. Like it's a stock exchange in the 1980s or something. They were kind of, like, hassling, you know, like, hey, give me five bucks on this, ten bucks on that. Um, the Bashams asked Nunzio if they have odds on their match against Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati next week, and we're told they're favored two to, two to one. 
And so the uh, Bashers aggressively bet $1,000 on themselves. And Johnny Stamboli takes exception to that kind of teasing an FBI Bashers match, which I'm sure is probably already cratering ratings for future weeks. <laughs> That's going to be delivered there. And then Matt Morgan parts the crowd, and he asks for the odds on A-Train versus Shannon Moore. And they say it's 10 to 1 in favor of A-Train. Now, Joel, I'm not going to presume that you're like an expert on gambling because depending on, you know, that people, people might not take that well. But, I don't think you need to be an expert on okay. gambling to know that that was a really bad bet. <laughs> so <laughs> Matt Morgan says he's going to let it all ride on A-Train. Um, and it's played like a big deal. Like everyone's like, oh, man, I can't believe that. But like, OK, it, uh, people who are listening who know gambling better than I do, forgive me, but I think my point is close enough. If if Matt Morgan just gave Nunzio a hundred dollars, wouldn't he win a hundred and ten dollars if A Train wins? Like well, he'd win he'd win ten dollars. Yes, right, exactly. Yeah. If he yeah. put a hundred dollars on the guy A Train was facing, he'd, he'd win, win ten times that dollars. Right, such a better bet, especially yes. Unless... Like it's this is the kind of thing where it's like you bet a hundred dollars to get hundred ten dollars. That's the kind of thing we go like, oh, don't make that bet. Like why would you do that? That's how yeah. betting works, right? Yeah. Um, so it's yeah there. They're hoping that you don't know anything about betting, and if you do, you're going to be like very confused about this whole thing. Even though if you think about it for even a second, if you don't have much sense of it, it's, it's weird. I will say, though, this whole bookie betting thing, like, I find it, it's, it's obviously kind of goofy and cartoony, but I like the life it adds and the kind of the culture of the backstage area. Like, it's not just general locker room stuff, right? And so in a brief segment, you know, if we're first-time viewers, we know the FBI are sketchy mob guys. They have a gambling ring. We know there's a match with the Bashams next week. They're very cocky about it. We know Matt Morgan has money on A-Train. It also suggests that wrestling is real instead of uh, something else. Uh, so I don't know. Like, as goofy as I, I liked it, jo- Joel, how do you feel about it? No, I agree with all those points. It actually it took care of a lot of ground in that one little segment, and it's this fun little silly backstage thing for a five-minute segment. Right. Right. You built on storylines. You kind of you have these now established characters in this kind of through fair storyline around betting on matches and people betting on their own matches or betting on other people's matches. I I thought it was interesting and I definitely could see the value in a segment like that. Yeah. I mean, there's been times, too, where um, maybe like Halloween parties and different things were like. They, they just have like a thing going on and that thing leads to them being able to go to do to take care of multiple things in one segment or even to do a little like a little character stuff. We're kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, let's let's bring up again that, you know, <laughs> I guess the, I guess the one thing you do in this thing is you could be like Funaki's a degenerate gambler. <laughs> He's like losing his shirt and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one thing you do. They didn't, they didn't go in that direction, but uh, we can see that being that way. And so that match, which was next is a train against Shannon Moore. And so. Uh, this Shannon Moore is continuing to get beat up by the big guys here. And so when Paul Heyman said that here's the guy that uh, is blown up on SmackDown, he's being a little bit silly about it uh, because he's kind of uh, – they're saying he's kind of being punished by Paul Heyman, although Paul Heyman has only ever been openly affirming to Shannon Moore uh, because Matt Hardy, Shannon Moore's buddy, left for Raw, which we were told earlier is not possible, but he did it. Um, Taz asks if he can place some bets while he's announcing. Um, I mean, I think he has to be there. It seems like it's pretty lo-fi, so I think you have to be there. So it wouldn't really work. Um, Taz says that Nathan Jones was sick while in Australia, so he just stayed there. And Taz adds, thanks for coming. <laughs> so I don't know if I don't know if that's them being like, well, he's released, who cares? Or they're like, we don't really know what to do with him yet. But it's like, all right, interesting. Um, A-Train grabs Shannon Moore's legs, and he swings him into the barrier, a barricade outside. Uh, just a- Shannon Moore just gets punished left and right in these matches. Uh, Adrian goes for his backbreaker, but Shinamore rolls over him and he gets a sunset flip roll up pin for the one, the two, and the three. Which is kind of obvious as soon as Matt Morgan put money on the match. 
like if there's one match where Shannon Moore is going to win this, it feels like this would be the right time for, to happen, where the stakes on it and Adrian has to do it, and it's so obvious that he will, that he won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually the story in wrestling. Yeah, if it's so obvious that he will, on a certain level, you can't you can't do it. Uh, so Shannon Moore scurries away, but Matt Morgan and Big Show come down the aisle. Big Show's wearing a lot of like pe- purple velour, which is a real look, but we will find out why later. Uh, so let's put a put a little uh, stitch in that for now. Uh, so Morgan knocks Shannon Moore down, and then Matt Morgan and Big Show they beat on Shannon Moore, and Morgan holds Shannon Moore in place for A Train to run into him. But when A Train runs towards him, Matt Morgan boots A Train down instead. And so Matt Morgan and Big Show beat on A Train, and Big Show gets a choke slam on A Train that I thought looked pretty good considering there's so much beef involved in that choke slam. Like A Train get up for right. Him. Oh yeah, he he got some hype. Oh, yeah. And so, and, and of course, when you're that big, you get that much height. When you fall down, it looks like you're like, oh, my gosh, that destroyed him. Yeah. Even better. So, I mean, I don't know. Is A-Train turning face? At least these three guys have turned on him. You know, they're like the, the, the heels have turned on A-Train. But he's also like, I don't think yeah, there still needs to be a piece of A-Train being like, I like I, I'm a good dude now or something. Like, I just I need a little bit more for A-Train to actually be a good guy other than just getting beat up by heels. But we'll see, I suppose. Miles to go before we sleep, I, suppose, I guess. Uh, we see Ernest the Cat Miller is shuffling his feet backstage as his hype man talks him up. We only ever see his bright red dancing shoes and his white pants, which I'll be honest with you, makes him look like the Pope. Oh, really? I was thinking like bad Elvis costume. I mean, also similar. Oh, I guess in that shot with the red shoes and the red white. Red shoes and the white? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. yeah Famously, yeah. they wear the right red shoes. But yeah, there's also yeah. the Elvis of it all. Um, and uh, we see the Mysterios are at ringside. Especially Ray's wife, Angie. I recently saw that she was on Instagram, and she looks like the exact same, so good for her. Um, also, Dominic was there, who is uh, yes. currently wrestling in WWE. He's like the a little guy. Uh, and Aaliyah, who's just this little girl. And later on, we'll see that she's like asleep with her mom, because it's like late at night. <laughs> it's very sweet. Uh, Ray's wife also has a couple of sisters with her, too. I won't comment on them, uh, but I'm sure they're very attractive. Uh, and behind Ray's family are three guys in Ray Mysterio masks. Including one wearing a Rey Mysterio mask and a San Diego Charge San Diego Chargers jersey. And let's just remember him for later. I'm just gonna point that guy out. He's he's noted. <laughs> he's noted. Did they stick out to you when you first watch? I noticed them wearing nope. the mask, but I didn't I didn't I wasn't like, oh okay, I bet those are somebody. I, I was like, oh, I didn't mask. even notice that at yeah. all. It's kind so. of fun when they do that. When like they, they they plant a guy like an hour into the show and he just has to sit there until the segment comes up. That must be yeah. fun. He's kind of there, you're like, ah, hey, wrestling, cool. Woo. I always felt bad for the guys who had to hang out under the ring. Oh, yeah. That's, that's that, that didn't seem fun. At least he got to watch a, the show and kind of be there. Could have gone for a beer. Yeah, he could have. Probably not. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. He did. Yeah. Uh, Whoever we're Cat- talking about. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, I could talk about the show and just be like, we just spoil everything off the top and then go through it again. But it's like, I don't know. We got to have some allusion to it. It makes me feel better about it at least. Yeah. So we go to the ring. Ernest the Cat Miller's hype man is out in the ring. He introduces Ernest as the hardest working man in show business, which I think is just purely lifted from James Brown, uh, much like everything else that, that uh, Ernest the Cat Miller is doing outside of the Pope and uh, Elvis, of course. Um, Taz and Cole, I would describe them as unironically excited for Ernest the Cat Miller. They're like, yeah, woo, let's go. All right. <laughs> it's a good time. Yeah. About they love it. Taz and Cole on commentary during this segment was interesting. Yes. To say the least. Yes. Um, Cole says he was excited for Sable to dance, too. He says it'll be a bobcat fest. And I don't know what a bobcat is. I know what a cougar is, an older woman. A bobcat, I don't know. Is it just, is it just the whole, like, wow, Sable thing? Is that why? I, I have no idea. 
I don't know. I, Bobcat does not mean anything like that to me. Bobcats are also like, in terms of like, um, like large game cats. Bobcats are actually pretty small. I don't know if you've ever small. seen one, but they're not yes. like, yeah, you're not like they're like, oh, it's like a panther, sleek, sexy panther. It's like a bobcat's like a little scared. <laughs> yeah. like wild, wild cat. They're yeah. cool looking, but it's they're a not slightly bigger than a house cat. No, right. I wouldn't want to kick one off. I'm sure he'd rip my face off. Right. But they're not these big giant cats. True. Somehow I think of this podcast I've invoked before. I think bobcats are like famously more scared of people than we are of them. So if a bobcat attacked you, they would have to be like pretty bold or yeah. sick. I guess it's, it's also very possible you'd run into one and be like, oh, he's just out of his damn mind, that bobcat. So I wouldn't take that as, as overly comfort, comfortable. Um, I'm noticing in this segment here uh, that the crowd sweetening is in full effect, where they are adding sound effects to the crowd to make them more excited for things. Uh, one thing I used to mention all the time on the podcast were SmackDown Pops, which is a specific sound they do, where they go, Aah! and they yeah. have that for Ernest Gambler for sure. Um, and it's interesting to hear that those crowd pops, that they haven't changed that audio file in like 25 years. Not really. Right. So when you hear it now, when you you can tell when they've piped in audio because that crowd noise is so it's the same. They're like, oh, they piped in audio because I can tell. Right. You're like recognizing certain parts of it. Like I'm surprised like I'm sure if you listen to certain things, they'd be like, oh my gosh, Triple H, no. Even if like even today. And you'd be like, oh, right. the reason that's stuff. That's right. <laughs> uh so Ernest Cat Miller calls out Sable, and out she comes in a leather bodysuit. Oh, I just wanted to mention what's what's Ernest the Cat's uh, hype man's name again? I knew it at one point. My notes do not say specifically what it is. Um, Um, It's like Jermaine or something. Yeah, and I remember last time because last time I was on the SmackDown 6 was when it was just uh, Ernest the Cat vignette. And you asked me about Jermaine. I'm going to go with Jermaine. I could be wrong. Um, But you asked me, you're like, Oh, that afro, is it real? Right. And I and I hadn't paid attention enough. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to be I'm I'm not gonna comment on this because I'm like, I don't want to be this white dude coming up commenting on some black guy's hair fair, and just fair. overstepping my boundary. Right. And then I saw him today, like having that conversation. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is the fakest afro I've ever seen. <laughs> right. Right. So I'm like, okay, I feel very confident in calling out that fake afro. It's like but a kid's it was, costume level afro. Really? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, even that and, and Ernest the Cat's like that's why I said Elvis Halloween costume. Like it's right. It's like sometimes like I find the the WWE costume department is unreal. Like some of the stuff they come up with and some of the cool things they do, so cool. But then sometimes I'm like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. I could have done this right oh, or. Man. Yeah, like, did you, yeah, you could have gone to a Spirit Halloween and done much better. Yeah. Presumably, yeah. right? Yeah. So, Sable teases for the crowd. Um, then she says not, because she only danced for Vince McMahon, which is like, okay, that makes sense. She's she's a heel. Like, we, well, I don't know why we were excited this was actually going to happen. Um, Ernest Cat Miller gives Sable grief for being so unkind to the crowd. And then, Ernest Cat Miller, this is a very 2003 thing, which is he grabs Sable, and he kisses her without consent, because, and it's true, like, it's a cool thing to do. Uh, and this is the thing that happens all the time on this podcast. We're like, they do that. The crowd's like, yeah. And now we're like, that's a crime. What you've just yeah. done there is a crime. Whether she's a horrible person or not, we don't like to see that. It's not fun. Of, of course, this is the segment I'm watching where my daughter walks in. And I, I, I that's the one where I go and pause the video, go to a new tab on the browser, just blank <laughs> screen. 
Hi, honey, what's up? I do not want you to see what is happening on this TV screen. Yeah, this yeah that is a was classic unfortunate ex- timing. Yeah, a classic example of, Daddy, are you watching porn? No, I'm watching wrestling. It's much worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I would at least, oh, at least have a, a healthy conversation about human sexuality. Now I just be like, well, it's just, they fight and I like it. It's not real. It's fine. Uh, it, it, but, it, it is interesting because it's, it's, you know, and it is weird that there was a time in our history where, like, this was just, like, so normalized. Right? right, I remember being a twelve-year-old wrestling fan, loving this kind of crap. Yeah, oh right? yeah, and kiss her. Oh, she so, she deserves it. Yeah, you yeah. get to have it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, oh man, that sort of messaging for my hormone crazy brain. That a lot of therapy to get to deal with that, Matt. I'm not gonna blame WWE for all my my uh, well. my mental unwellness in adulthood, but. So it was just like interesting, like looking back on this sort of a segment in like a post Me Too era, and even just the yeah. setup, like even just like with the way Taz and Cole are talking about Sable and and so hyped about this segment, and just kind of just being like, just feeling uncomfortable and just like, oh, why was this okay, right? And just yeah. like, you know, like I don't want to be like, oh, Taz and Cole need to answer for what they did twenty years <laughs> right. ago. But it's just like, oh, it's it's like it's such a mirror shining back on like what was okay in our society at that time. And I'm not saying that it was like blanketly okay, but it was something you could put on TV and it wouldn't cause this sort of a backlash, right? Right. You wouldn't have you wouldn't have sponsors pull out. You wouldn't have there wouldn't be people writing in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal about how wrestling's gone too far. With they they wouldn't do it. Uh, it's also interesting too. This is happening to someone. Sable is like she came back earlier in 2003. Uh, big contract. She's a big star, and like this still happens to her, right? Like here's here's a woman who could barely ha- be more uh, of a big deal, and she still has to do these sorts of segments and do th- th- these sorts of things. Yeah. So it's inter- it's interesting because you watch the show. There's some things you're like, oh, this match would fit in, you know, if you made it HD and you <laughs> made it more widescreen. This match would be totally fine today. And other stuff comes up, and we're like, yeah, yeah, less cool. Now, yeah. of course, Sable leaves. She's very unimpressed. Uh, and then Ernest Cat Miller just removes his pants and shirt and dances in his boxers and shoes. What's I don't I don't like I guess it, like and I'm not sure what the the message is with it. Is he like I want to see Sable dance? It didn't happen. I'm still horny. I'm gonna stick go in my underwear. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> and and what's the payoff? Right, like truly, you know, and even like looking in that sort of like you're selling this segment of like Sable's gonna dance, and instead you get Ernest the Cat Miller and his boxers. You're like, that was that was the payoff. I I feel at that point he's the heel, right? right? But yeah, uh, it would, I I didn't understand that at all. It'd be funny if he, yeah, that almost be an interesting character if he just does more extreme things everywhere he can tell the crowd just turns on him. That's how they do. That. They treat him fully as a, as a face. They demonstrate, and they're just like he takes out his pants. He's like, ah, he's doing too much. He's, he's out too long. People are like, boo. Anyway, one way of doing that. Anyway, I mean, this whole, I mean, the whole Ernest Kettler dance with Sable segment from the moment we saw it was on the show. We're like, all right, well, that's gonna be a waste of time or stupid. And yeah, not it, surprised. It was. Yep. Yeah. Eddie Guerrero approaches his nephew Chavo backstage. He questions if Chavo was gonna be a good teammate tonight or not, which is a good question because Chavo's pretty much just being a heel for the last month. Uh, kind of in that firmly in that place where the face is like, you've changed a little bit. And the guy's like, no. And he's just like being like such a dick. <laughs> like, we know where this is going, but all right. Mm. Um, 
Chavo questions Eddie's action last week. Chavo had a match. Eddie came out. He was like wearing like a, a hat you could put beers in, which I don't think he did because uh, Eddie's had issues. Uh, but he had like a, a lawn chair. He had taquitos out there. And Chavo says, you know, his knee is feeling good, uh, which is very up, very good because it's up for grabs whether or not it would be. And Chavo says, you know, my knee's so good. I might not even tag you in, Eddie. And Eddie says, well, I might have to just steal the win then. And uh, this to me, I'm watching. I'm like, this feels like the final turn from Chavo. And I and I didn't. I, I write this before I seen the next match. Or you kind of tease dissension. Seems obviously going to happen. Then you feel that everything is fine. And then boom, you hit the heel turn. Which I don't know if they quite get to, but that's what it feels like. Is like kind of one of their. That's one of the tricks, right? Yeah, yeah. And and based on that segment, I was fully expecting the Chavo heel turn in this match, like yeah. the full on heel turn. Yeah. Right. Not just more seeds, which we just got more seeds in the match. Lots right? of seeds in the show. It's well, a very seedy seed, show. Seedy show. I say that about Building the last for Royal show. Rumble, I suppose. That's it. Uh, and uh, let me go. Yes. Yeah, so uh, Los Guerreros versus the world's greatest tag team is our next match. Los Guerreros ride down the entrance ramp or uh, entrance flat area in a dark green lowrider. And then we get our spots for the night. We've got uh, Dragon Ball Z Budokai 2 for PS2, which sounds like a fighting game. We have the uh, Remington Titanium series, some razors. And Burger King, come on over. The fire's ready. I will point out, last time Joe was on the show, Burger King also a sponsor. I yeah, and I, and I and I, I remember because we called them out because what were they selling last time? A very long phrase. I think it was like the chicken, chicken baguettes. It might have been the San Diego's chicken it was baguette. A, or it was a chicken baguette, like some weird chicken baguette. And we like yeah. made fun of them, like Burger King stick in your lane. And yeah. this advert, it was like they heard us. And they're just like, Burger King, fire's on. We'll make yeah. you a Whopper. <laughs> Who wants a Whopper? We can yeah. keep doing them. We're so sorry about that baguette thing. That was, <laughs> but that guy's fire, just to be clear. We got rid of him. He's in the burger dungeon. Yeah. Uh, I found it so funny cool. that it was actually like in, in, the way we called them out last time, they their ad was very different this time. They heard us. Someone was just like, what are we doing? Guys, truly, what are we doing? We're yeah. Burger King. We don't need to do this. Uh, we see clips from last week where Eddie helped Chavo beat Chelsea Benjamin despite Chavo saying he didn't want Eddie at ringside. Uh, also, it was up for debate whether or not Chavo needed the help, but Eddie just decided to do that anyway. And uh, we hear a nice, loud Eddie, Eddie chant from the crowd to start. Uh, big Latino population uh, in San Diego. And so... Uh, Kind of expectedly, Eddie Guerrero is a star there. Um, there's also a crowd chant that I can't quite discern. It sounds like it's saying like Pejo or something like that, which is Spanish for dog, but it doesn't make much sense when Eddie's with Shelton in the ring. So I don't know what that is. Maybe they weren't chanting Pejo. Maybe it's something else. I could not tell you. Um, yeah, so Shelton works Eddie's arm in the ring, and then uh, he and Eddie end up outside the ring on, uh, by the low rider. Shelton pops the hood of the low rider. And he's seemingly about to slam the lid of the car into Eddie's arms. But, like, wouldn't that be a disqualification? Like, it's a foreign object, however large it might be. A car's just a large folding chair in the, in the eyes of WWE, surely. Like, isn't that a disqualification? You'd you'd assume so. Maybe does WWE consider large stationary objects as not foreign? Like the steel steps or the barricade or the announce table. So maybe the car somehow fit that category. Maybe. Steel steps is a close analog, actually, because like it's yeah. not always clear if you pick the steel steps up and you hit a guy with them. If it's like, oh, is that is you can throw them into them at least? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I did find it interesting how quickly Shelton Benjamin popped that hood. I was like, that hood had to be gimmicked. Because well, I think about yeah, 
how much like on my own vehicle how many times i've popped the hood and i'm sitting there under like what the, what the hell is this like does it go this way yeah. does it go that way and you're like sitting there then you finally get it but he just went there flick and it went up i'm like that that's a gimmick to it yeah, they knew so- that that is a universal problem that every person has when they go to pop the hood that they have to fiddle around and jiggle with it and like let's just alleviate that here's a button we've rigged up so when you hit it pops the, open like yeah, yeah okay. champagne cork or something uh, so uh, I, th- I think Eddie uh, is spared the indignity of getting his arm into the door, and the referee is spared the uh, having to decide if that counts as disqualification or not. <laughs> um, now Shelton sends Eddie shoulder first into the post outside the ring, and Eddie smacks into it. He spins away from the post dramatically as we take a break, kind of flips it, flips around, which is kind of fun. And when we come back, Eddie's being systematically beat down by the world's greatest tag team. But Chavo gets a tag, and he runs wild. He gets a very spinny head on Shelton Benjamin. I think it's a couple of rotations. It's always fun. And Shelton Benjamin sneaks to the ring when he's not legal, and he kicks Shelton hard. Sorry, uh, Chavo hard in the knee, and so now each girl is an, in a damaged limb here. So uh, the Eddie's arm, Chavo's knee, we're, we're, we're getting worked on. Uh, Eddie takes out Shelton when he's not legal, and so Eddie tags in with Chavo. The ref didn't see it, so the sneakiness did not, in fact, pay off this time. Uh, Eddie does get his tag in. He runs well. He hands out drop kicks, hip tosses, arm drags from the top ropes, etc. Uh, but the world's greatest tag team gets their leapfrog jumping sent on to the lower back of Eddie. But Chavo comes in to save him, even with his knee injury. Chavo hits his Moscato dive to Charlie Haas on the outside, taking another match temporarily. And then Shelton goes for a T-bone suplex, but Eddie counters it. And he does three rolling snap suplexes with a back body drop to Charlie Haas before he hits that last one on Shelton. And then Chavo Guerrero, he, he blind tags in. So against Eddie's will, he tags into the match. Travel sneaks and he steals a frog splash, but the referee is distracted and only gets a count of two. So Eddie and Travel, they argue on the ring apron, and Travel gets drop kicked into Eddie. And the referee recognizes that as a blind tag, which feels kind of correct, but it's kind of rare for wrestling. It wasn't obvious to me that, that is how that would work. I think that usually at least one guy has to be like intentional about tagging in. At least a little bit. I don't know. I felt that was weird. I don't know if you felt that was weird. So explain exactly what happened to me, because I think I was a bit confused. Yeah. So Chavo t- takes himself in. He takes he himself in. Coming. Yeah. Eddie's like, whoa, what's that about? And Chavo's like, I got it. He does the frog splash. There's the distraction. The guy kicks out. And then Shelton mentioned when he's in the ring, he gets drop kicked. And Shelton, after getting drop kicked, he hits Eddie, who's on the apron. And the referee's like, well, that's a tag. Okay, and then the referee did the sign. At least the referee called it. Because I was confused, because I was like, I thought, like, I clearly missed it in the watching of it. Because I was like, isn't isn't Chavo the legal guy? And they said, no, it's Eddie. I'm like, okay, something happened there. Right, and it's it's something where you're kind of like, it does not read to someone who's familiar with wrestling as, oh, obviously that counts as. You're like, oh, that's that's an odd choice, kind of a a match-specific choice. Uh, And so... The world's greatest tag team, they try to super kick and pin Chavo. Fortunately, the referee had already made the call. Chavo's no longer the legal man. Uh, Eddie is, but Eddie's outside the ring, and he's digging around into that very convenient hood of that low rider, and he grabs an air filter. And he hits Shelton Benjamin with it, and the referee doesn't see it, so it's fine. And Eddie covers Shelton and gets the one, the two, and the three. Los Guerreros win in San Diego. Now, Chavo seems displeased here, but it's not obvious why, because Chavo tried to do the frog splash earlier. He only got a count of two. And um, Eddie was kind of, like, made to be enter the match. Like, he was a legal guy, and he did his thing. Like, it wasn't like Chavo – Eddie didn't do the blind tag thing. Chavo did. So, I don't know. Joel, any thoughts on this match? I mean, uh, did, did you like it, or how was the storyline for you? 
Oh, I had, I enjoyed it a lot. I those were four guys who could lay out a good match, and they did a really good job. I got a bit confused at the end, but I overall really liked it. Justifiable, I think. Justifiable confusion, but yeah, it's a good little match here with the World's Greatest Tag Team. Who are, I don't know what they're doing, but uh, Los Guerreros are at least uh, heading towards an implosion. Although it will not be tonight in San Diego. Uh, we got Rey Mysterio warming up backstage, doing his you know warm up stuff. And then we get a video package here. The Super, SmackDown superstars will be visiting troops to deliver gift packages. But that's not all. We get a, a video package that explains that uh, <laughs> explains what happens here. Now, we first we see Bradshaw. He's talking to the troops at, at the announcement event. Bradshaw says the U.S. military is undefeated, which is uh, conveniently ignoring Vietnam. I would argue. <laughs> yeah, that was my exact thought. But stuck, stuck out to me. Uh, yeah. Even Iraq is kind of a debate. Um, Big Show is there. He says this isn't about the war or politics. It's just about troops, which is a pretty safe thing to say. Mm-hmm. And John Cena does a brief rap as well. And uh, there's a lady from the USO who talks about how young the troops are. Some are 18 or 19, and being away from home is scary. And I was like, okay, I get you're trying to tell me like how much of an impact I can get if I give like a troop like a a, a care package. But uh, it's also kind of sad, isn't it? That we're like openly like, that's great. We're, we're practically sending kids to war. Don't want to give them something? I'm like, I want to get the yeah. hell out of there. It's horrible. She called them kids in a war. That was her quote. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that is not having the desired impact I think you, you're hoping for. Look, right? We're practically sending child soldiers to their death in Iraq, but you can send them a magazine <laughs> and some stickers and gum. Don't you want to do that? Also, and then Sable. Sable gets in there, too. Sable says, you know, you can send a, a care package to a troop for $25. And I was like, oh, good. The U.S. military, they have no funding after all. So yeah. glad that I can step in here and uh, <laughs> provide money for them. They, they definitely need it. Um, Tori Wilson's there. She also talks about it. Uh, Vince McMahon, also there. Very genuine, which is funny. He's usually, you know, we see him on camera. He's an unhinged psychopath. But he talks about <laughs> the troops, too. And here he's just kind of like, oh, this is a good guy. We're like, that's kind of weird to have that, uh, to flick the switch like that there. So... Yeah, um, we're going to be headed – it's a more troop talk in the weeks ahead, and hopefully uh, we steer clear of many tr- controversies. But those things stuck out to me, and I'm glad they stuck out to you too, Joel, because I felt better about it. <laughs> yeah. Dang. And then Big Show comes out, and he's dressed like John Cena in a large retro baseball jersey. Actually, interestingly, it's a Baltimore Black Sox one. This is a Negro League retro baseball jersey you kind of you can't even buy one of these now i looked it up and i was like wow this is like actually pretty retro and pretty like pretty rare that's super cool because i was trying right. to like that's what i thought when i heard like black socks like i i kind of thought that i didn't look it up but i was like i i think it's like an old baseball but yeah i'd even to think it was the new that's that's a really cool yeah that's a really cool uh jersey that he he has there it gives him a lot of cred, which I'm like, where, where's that now? Um, it's also huge, too. It fits Yeah. Um, he's also got a bandana. He's kind of gesturing, kind of like hip-hop, hip-hop manner. He, at one point, he lists his shirt to show his shorts are lower than his boxers, which feels like a detail to be kind of like, I don't want to set them up like this and no one sees them, so I should just show them all that I have this set up here. Um, I also realized when I'm, when I'm watching Big Show come out, I'm like, oh, we've seen Big Show in four different outfits tonight because he was wearing his velour tracksuit earlier, which was covering up this. Uh, he also was in his ring gear and a suit in different clips, and now he's kind of thugged out. It's probably not common to see on a two-hour show someone wearing four fully different outfits. <laughs> One of those little trivia things that stuck out. Uh, Cole says, what up, show? Before Big Show greets everyone with a yo, 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 yo. So this is a banner day for white people being cool and appropriating uh, this kind of oh, talk. Man. And I was, I was thinking that like the early 2000s was was this weird moment of, of time where people thought this was funny. 
Oh, hilarious. Like, Imagine if a like, grandma rapped on, in, a, in a movie. How funny would that be? Yeah. Well, they oh, tried. Man. They tried, right? <laughs> like, so many TV shows and movies, like, went so hard on this as a concept for funny. And yeah. it's just... It's it's so unfortunate and so many like I think they they were hoping it to be like oh look at how lame white people are but it just it doesn't come off that way now right which is yeah just too bad but it, I just it was so prevalent at oh, that constantly. time in history it's such I a mean, pop culture thing in this time period I definitely saw Malibu's Most Wanted in theaters and yes. that was that movie's predicated on the whole concept of what if a, what if a white guy thought he was street and it turns yeah. out he wasn't how yeah. funny would that be. Um, that is the whole premise of the movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I laughed that much even then. So the answer is not that funny. Uh, <laughs> so Big Show calls out John Cena for a battle rap. And I'm like, I, you know, Big Show's always done comedy well. And I'm just like, he's just very comfortable with his rap lingo. He does this well, like in terms of like yeah. how he's doing. Like, it's a good performance. Uh, and then Cena comes out. And weirdly, he's not wearing, wearing wearing any retro gear. He's wearing retro WWE, a retro WWE shirt and trucker hat. Because it is 2003, and it's a lot less cool than when he wears a throwback jersey. Uh, but I'm sure he like paid for a couple of houses that he's wearing because he wore this stuff out there. But it's one of the first times we see John Cena in his own merch and not in something that is like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. Uh, and so Big Show starts off. He starts in on Cena. He handles himself kind of well. You know, he makes him he makes a pretty off color Kobe Bryant reference that Taz won't even touch. So I assume it's horrendous considering what happened earlier. I know vaguely what happened with uh, Kobe Bryant 2003. Yeah. Um, Cena makes his classic, like, ooh, face, which is now pretty much a meme all on its own. Um, Big Show ends with a dick joke, as is a tradition. It is right for him to do so. Uh, Cena retorts. He, he hits some of his old favorites. He, you know, I did you eat from the toilet? And the crowd loves it. And he ends by tossing Big Show the mic. But when Big Show goes to grab it, uh, Cena just kicks him in the groin and leaves. Good way to leave. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to try to do that more, like leaving parties and events. Here, catch this. Boom. Uh and so Big Show, Big Show fumes because Big Show fumes so well. And Cena grins from the entrance ramp. And I was like, you know what? Honestly, this is a pretty fine segment. I thought Big Show made it fun. The feud continues. It's a good way to keep things moving without getting these guys in the ring. I thought it was all right. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I wanted to touch. So, so before the segment, they showed um, John Cena losing to Chris Benoit. Yes. Now, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but yes. isn't that the last time John Cena ever tapped out? Oh, man, that is a great question. Um, he tapped out so rarely. I'm trying to think of another instance where he definitely would have. Does he not, tap out, to the, does he not tap out to an ankle lock anytime after that? That's where I was thinking. I think there's it's a the most obvious thing after that. I, it's sometime in the next six months to a year where he taps out to an ankle lock. Yeah. But then it's like never again. But I think this has to be one of the last times. He actually taps out. Probably. I remember um, along the same lines, we put out a video probably two years ago and it was every time john cena was pinned like clean in a match and it's great because the first like it, it, if it's a six minute video the first four and a half minutes are just like the first six months of his like career yeah and the last few are like four different occasions and it's like so rare <laughs> and then like, like over like, a two years span yeah yeah he gets pinned like twice so yeah the I wish there was an easier way to find out that sort of thing because the, the, the guy actually tap out is is interesting. Because um, the other thing, too, I'm trying to think, like, how many feuds did John Cena have where the other guy had a finisher that was a submission and the John Cena lost those matches? It's pretty rare. Like, I can't even really think of that. Like, what it would even be, right? All right. You want some trivia? Okay. Hit me up. 
Cena tapped out in his career, his yes. nearly two decade long career. Can you guess how many times he tapped out? Five times. Four. Okay. <laughs> I I was like, eight is probably too much, even though it's like I was like five is comically low, but four is very silly. <laughs> <laughs> he does it four times. Once to Chris Jericho, two thousand two. Yeah. Um. This time to Benoit. So that was the first time was to Chris Jericho, two thousand two. Yeah. The next time was this one against yep. Chris Benoit, December two thousand three. Yeah. And then he tapped out twice to Kurt Angle, once at No Mercy in two thousand and three, and then the last time he ever tapped out was at No Way Out two thousand and four to Kurt Angle. Okay, I'm glad that was our instinct was right. So we've covered on the podcast when John Cena has tapped out. Um, that by, by the way, when John Cena tapped out to Chris Jericho, uh, we might talk about that in a few weeks. I'm just gonna tease something a little special episode we're gonna do later on. Um, but yeah, anyway, interesting. That's really interesting. That that's and it makes sense. It's John's and then and then for 2004, for the next 18 years, no, nothing else, no other nothing else, never Pretty again. Wild. Pretty wild. <laughs> And uh, Kurt Angle's got a 50% hit rate on the John Cena tap out, so not bad. I mean, yeah, that's a quite the accomplishment. Not bad at all. Uh, speaking of uh, submissions, uh, Colin Tash talking about ta- Brock's submission finisher from last week is officially dubbed the Brock Lock. Um, that's where he has like he, he puts your knee over his head and then kind of sits down. Hard to explain. I encourage people to Google Brock Lock because I don't know how else to describe that. <laughs> He's kind of threading you through himself. They threw a video package, um, yeah, which shows that Brock was introducing uh, the Cena-Benoit match, promising to make someone tap out. We see the footage from the Benoit match last week where Benoit made Brock tap out after ref got knocked out. And there's this neat thing where Brock is tapping out last week, and they cut to a very similar shot from Survivor Series, and Brock tapped out then. So they almost, like, overlay it in a way that's like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's, like, smart the way they did that. And then we see that Brock hit an F5, Benoit kicked out, Brock used a chair to hurt Benoit's leg, and then he stitched in the Brock Lock to knock Benoit, Benoit unconscious and win the match. And then we go to an interview with Benoit and Josh Matthews. Benoit makes no excuses for losing last week. He says he's got to figure out how he can get another title shot again. I wonder how he can do it. <laughs> um, he says Heyman only sees numbers, but he's uh, he, he, only sees, he only sees this as a business, Benoit says. But Benoit promises to get in there somehow, back in the title picture. And then we get a tail the tape for Brock and Ray, and obviously Brock super outweighs Ray, although I appreciate that Ray's WCW Tag Team Championship is acknowledged as career highlights. Yeah, I mentioned that stuff. That actually happened. I like that. And so we get to our main event tonight. Ray Mysterio versus Brock Lesnar is a non-title match, but if Ray wins, he gets Brock Lesnar next week. As uh, Michael Cole declares loudly at one point, tonight is Ray Mysterio's birthday. Great. Good to know. It's all coming up right here. Uh, we see Ray's family in the front row. This is where we see that Ray's daughter is fully asleep now. It's adorable. <laughs> it's probably way past her bedtime. Dominic looks tired, too. Um, and then it's funny. Brock Lesnar comes out. His power goes off, and I'm like, huh. I wonder if that woke up Ray's daughter, and then they cut back to her. No, she was staying asleep. She slept <laughs> through a firework 10 feet from her head. Children are crazy. I love it. It's interesting, because at the beginning of this match, they do the tale of the tape. Yeah. Which is... That is something that the WWE has gone in and out of doing numerous times. And and it's interesting to see the moments in history when they decide to do it. And then the moments where they don't. And then other times they introduce it again. It's it's very a roller coaster of when they decide to do Tale of the Tape. 
Yeah, like when do we want to be like present ourselves like a lot like a sport? And when do we want to pretend that we're not? And it's like, wow, when it's convenient, really. I mean, they, but they do go back and forth. Like, we're like boxing or football. And it's like, nah, they just do that. It's funny. Um, and so Brock looks very confident here. And uh, Brock, Brock says, you're just a little guy. Uh, after pushing Ray off from a lockup, he holds his thumb and index finger a short distance apart to show Ray's size. And then Brock picks up Ray's leg. He just swings him around like he's like a stuffed animal. Like, it's just weird, like. This movement that you're like, oh my gosh, I've almost never seen that before. That he picks him up that way. Um, I like it because you can, and then you could tell the way he let him go. He let him go safely to make sure it's like Rams just didn't land on his head. But the way he just did that, I thought that was that was a great way to like kind of just showcase the obvious size difference between the two men. Yeah, and it's great because that leads to Ray getting mad. So he starts to heat up. He drops Brock face first on the bottom turnbuckle. He's getting mad about this. Ray, Ray leads Brock on a chase in and out and around the ring multiple times. Uh, and it's great because it's like he's in and out there, move, blah, 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 blah. And Brock ends up outside of the ring tired and annoyed. And you're like, that's an effective strategy, at least to start off. We're like, chase him around, go around and around and around. The crowd is enjoying it. It's it's truly a cat and mouse game. Yeah. The cat's outside the ring. He's like, Pop the crowd, which right? was, it was so good. It's like, and it worked. It makes it made sense for the psychology of the match. Just tire this big man out. If he's going to chase you, just keep running. Keep going. Right, like so many times, I think last time we talked about sometimes like WWE likes to paint these things as cowardly, right? Because last right. time I think we had a match with Jamie Noble and there's two on one and it's a cool thing to escape and and get away from the two on one advantage. And yeah. sometimes WWE's like, oh, they're running away or something, but it's like no, he's doing the smart thing, and that's with Ray here as well. It's like other times it's been played off as some sort of moment of cowardice, but this was a a moment of smart ring psychology by Rey Mysterio. Yeah, it's also better because it gives it gives space for those times where they're like, oh, he shouldn't be in there. Like, he's just going to take a pounding. But it's like, it's the, it's the uh, you know, they can do the Captain America, I can do this all day sort of thing. And so when you just right. treat everything as cowardly or everything is that, it doesn't, it doesn't work. So I, I agree that works out well, well here. And so Brock grabs the steel steps outside, but Ray drop kicks them, knocking Brock down. And Brock recovers enough to drive Ray into the steel post outside the ring and Brock takes control of the match. Uh, now, Ray goes for a leaping hurricane and run on Brock to the outside. Uh, and it gets turned into a kind of sunset flip. It's a bit rough, but it's made up by Ray getting another hurricane rana where he sends Brock into a post. And then Ray gets this really big springboard crossbody on Brock with just an absolute ton of air. And we take a commercial break with Ray starting to roll here. And we come back, leap. Uh, Ray leaps onto Brock from the top row, but Brock catches him and he hits some rib busters on Ray. And then F5 is attempted by Brock Lesnar. It's countered. But Brock pushes the referee so he doesn't see that Brock kicks Ray in the groin, which is, like, pretty great heel move here. It's totally cheap and against a guy way smaller than you. It's such a dick move. It's very good <laughs> heel work. Uh, and then Ray Brock gets this rather unusual hold on Ray where he's got Ray's arms kind of straight-jacketed uh, against his neck and chest. And uh, I will have to point out there's a variation of that move that exists in No Mercy 64. I feel like I was pointing these things out. But it's a very – it's a mission – it's a – a, uh, if the guy's lying on his stomach and you're at the, you, a, you have a special, uh, you can go up and do that. And if you have that and the character thing, you do that straight jacket sort of submission as well. Mm. Uh, Ray gets slid outside, but when he goes back in, uh, Ray kicks the middle rope into Brock's crotch with the commentators miss. So this is something that the commentators don't even comment on it, but it's definitely a spot in the match where Ray is sent out of the ring. He comes back in. Brock is also coming in and Ray kicks the rope into Brock's crotch. Always weird when, Ray, when commentators miss something that they should have caught. Uh, but it's not like storyline wise where they like they don't pick up on something obvious. 
It's like, oh, right. There you go. Yeah. So that 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 little sneaky trickery, uh, cheating, uh, lets Ray get a six one nine around the ring post, and then he drops the dime. He does a springboard leg drop from the top rope on Brock for a count of two. It's very nice near fall. The crowd was like, they're into it. They believed it. So how often did Ray Mysterio do that ring post six one nine spot? That one's rare. The ring post one's rare. Yeah. He's done on the outside. You know what? I feel like early on, probably in the first like three months of when he was on SmackDown, he would do a lot kind of like funkier 619s around the ring right. post, different places. And then yeah. he settled into, okay, it's when they're on the ropes in that position when he's coming around. They really try to like telegraph it, which it makes a bit of sense because it's a bit more – it's like a more fun move as opposed to like, oh, you just kind of get it out of somewhere. But it is, it's rare, but he used to it more, I think. Yeah, because I, I just remembered as like that WrestleMania 22 spot that he mm. missed. Right. Right. Which is too bad, but it just, it, it reminded me of that. I'm like, oh, he hit it pretty perfectly there. And I was trying to right. remember how often he would have done it. But obviously, it seems rare. And he tried yeah. to pull it out at special times. But fortunately, the biggest of times, it, it didn't go well for him. Yeah, it's too bad, really. Oh, man. Uh, so Ray gets a, a nice spinning head scissors on Brock, and then he gets alley-oop to the top rope, um, which is always crazy. This happens sometimes. The, the Ray does these alley-oop things where Ray land, he, he lands clean to the top rope, which is wild, but he kind of falls down near Brock instead of doing something cool, which is too bad. Um, but he gets another shot and goes for Hurricane Rana, and he uses that to roll up Brock for two, which is another nice near fall. And then Ray goes for a springboard Hurricane Rana, but he gets countered to a big smacking powerbomb by Brock. Uh, but rather than cover Ray, Brock gets the Brock lock on him. And after, you know, a couple minutes, Ray taps out. And so Brock Lesnar wins. <laughs> and it's in his hometown. And, uh, yeah, no title match for Ray next week. He just lost. Uh, and then after the match, a fan runs to the ring with security and Brock grab him. But actually, it's one of those guys in a Ray Mysterio match from earlier, the guy in the San Diego's Chargers jersey. And uh, outside the ring, he pushes off security guards and he removes his mask to reveal... It's actually Hardcore Holly, who's suspended for attacking Brock Lesnar. And he promised to break Brock Lesnar's neck because Brock broke his neck last year. And Brock looks terrified. And Holly clotheslines him out of the ring. And Hardcore Holly smiles victoriously. Michael Cole says, Hardcore Holly, suspended or not, might be Brock's biggest headache. And we go off the air. So this is this is a pretty solid main event match. And then it's pretty quickly turned into, Hardcore Holly's here. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of this ending? I think pretty great match. I think uh, you know. Oh yeah, I, the match I, was I great, was fantastic. Yeah, and then yeah, it was really interesting Holly. that I guess they sell it as a a match. If Ray wins, he just gets a title shot, right? Like it's not the stakes aren't that high for Ray to win, and right. then you got a sweet main event for next week. So it was a really interesting decision, I guess. Like, why not make the match tonight for a title? Right. I Get guess the crowd it, not be hotter. In 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 that way, if they did that, I'm not expecting a title change. Whereas this, I was kind of expecting Ray to win, and I didn't. That maybe that's good. That yeah. maybe that's the calculus of like, well, we need to swerve expectation a little bit because it looks like we're just building for a match next week, but in fact, we're not. Right. So maybe that is. And, and I'm sure I'm I'm assuming at times they put thought into that stuff as well. But yeah, they're like, look, the we don't want to we want. Yeah, we want to tease. There's going to be a match next week. Uh, but what we're really doing is making sure a mid Carter shows up and takes a mask off and has a big reveal. <laughs> like, great. <laughs> love it. Love it, guys. 
this time in history, I was always confused about, right? Because it's like watching up until the early thousands and then not coming back and be like, wait, Hardcore Holly was in the main event championship match at a Royal Rumble? Wait, Hardcore yeah. Holly? <laughs> and it's like, oh, was right? he like a big star then? No, 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 no. No, he didn't, really didn't make sense at the time. No one believed it then. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, the only <laughs> reason why is that they both had a botch and Hardcore Holly broke his neck and they turned that into a storyline. They tried to turn Hardcore Holly into Steve Austin 2.0 and let's see how that did for him. <laughs> Not, great. <laughs> Not great. So, Joel, I'd love to get your final thoughts on the show. So, I'd love to hear what you thought of it. And then I'd love to, to rate the show using the SmackDown video games of the era. If you liked it, you could say it was just bring it. If you thought it was kind of eh, you could say shut your mouth. If you thought it was bad, you could say here comes the pain. So, Joel, I welcome your thoughts and your rating on the show. I actually really enjoyed the show. I think most of the segments were good. I was entertained. Any, like, obviously the Ernest the Cat segment <laughs> drags it down, in my opinion, but it, <laughs> every SmackDown of this era has a segment like that where you kind of look back from 2022 eyes and makes you cringe a, a little bit. But yeah, I, I, the main event was great. The matches were good. Even like you said before, the Cena Big Show match. In, in times, those sorts of segments in WWE are atrocious, but this one was good, had entertaining. wasn't wasn't barn burning or this crazy segment that you have to go back and see, but it was entertaining enough, right? Yeah. It got me to chuckle a couple times, and they're, they're both good at their character work, and it played out in that. And yeah, for the most part, I enjoyed it. So I would give it... You need to remind. Uh, just yourself. bring it, I think. Right? Well, not quite. I want to okay. like. I want to go almost just bring it and almost sh- just bring it right. Okay. Like just that, that kind of in between. Shut your mouth and just bring it right. Like because right. it like it was it was good. Right there was nothing like the the matches were enjoyable and fun to watch. The segments were good. There's a couple of bad things, but for the most part, it was really good. Yeah, I believe there was also a SmackDown game called Know Your Role. I should probably have that in between somewhere. It doesn't really mean anything, but it's like <laughs> maybe it's like an average thing. It's a show that knew its role to just like get, you know hit par essentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, too far down the road for that too. Yeah, I mean for me, yeah, it was good main events. There's some good storyline stuff going forward. It works for me. I am going to give it a just bring it. Although it does remain funny to do SmackDowns where Hardcore Holly is like a big reveal for people. <laughs> like, all right, great. Right. But I think I would have gave it the same rating without that Harker Holly review. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it just Brock Lesnar going off the air triumphant. It was the same. The Harker Holly was like, okay, that's fun. It's a right. fun little reminder of that weird time in, in, in wrestling history. Yeah. Oh, man. So yeah, that, that was the show we covered today, guys. Uh, next week's show is going to be the December 18th, 2003 episode of SmackDown. We're continuing towards Christmas. We're continuing towards the Royal Rumble. Harker Holly, will he be around? Who knows? So I hope you can join us for that next week. Uh, if you uh, if you'd like to, you can follow us on social media. We're SmackDown and SmackDown. Sorry, we're SmackDown Six and SmackDown Six Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. If you want to share this show with a friend, you think they would like it, go ahead and do that. You can give us a rating on Apple Podcasts if you like as well. Um, and uh, Joel, thank you so much for joining me, buddy. I do. I just want to do some damage control before we leave. Sure, of course. I'm I'm I'm, I'm assuming Hardcore Holly's listening to this. And yes. what I know about Harker Holly, he's legit like one of the toughest badass mofos out there. Yeah. So it was only a dig at your character at the time that WWE gave you. I understand you're the toughest person that people respect. So if I ever meet him in real life, he doesn't 
destroy me as he most likely could. Right. And and Hardcore Holly also do not hit him up at Joel Willick on Twitter. <laughs> also not a great idea, let's say. Um, I will say Hardcore Holly, I think that you didn't have as much talent as you thought you did. I think you had a good drop kick and that was kind of it. And I think that you were kind of boring when you were on television. So I am coming at you. I am going hard <laughs> against you. Uh, you can direct your ire at me. Some guy. That's why you're I am. you're you're a, you're you're leaning into the very likely factor that you will never cross paths with Harker Holly in your life, where I'm going on the point zero 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 one percent chance that Harker Holly's listened to this and will have some point meet me in real life. How so great would it be if Harker Holly took a swipe at me though? That'd be kind of satisfying. <laughs> I don't want him to connect with me per se, but if he was like, he saw me, he got like worked up enough. He'd like try to hit me. I'd be like, okay, I did something in my life. This is good. I freaked out this yeah, guy. Yeah. It's like Bob the whole thing logo. where it's like, sometimes you're like, I would like to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Like not really, but just, <laughs> no, not like, him. but just like that idea of like, I took a punch from Mike F and Tyson. Right. Right. Like that sort of idea. If oh. I could make hardcore Holly mad enough at me that he would want to hit me. I feel like I've succeeded in life in some regard. So that's good. So I feel at least better about that. So anyway, Harker Holly, come at me. Um, at SmackDown 6, SmackDown 6. <laughs> or my personal one, MP Vaughn on Twitter. Come at me. Let's Ooh, go. Uh, so Joel, thanks for joining me, buddy. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I was uh, glad to be back. Great to have you. Hope to have you back again sometime soon. Folks, thank you for joining us. And I uh, just want to say, oh, look, uh, where you're watching from. Looks like someone in a Ray Mysterio mask and a San Diego Charger jersey nearby. I'm wondering who that could be. Maybe, maybe I'll go up and introduce myself after the show. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, I'll let you know how that goes. I'll talk to you guys again next week.